Open your Bible to Romans chapter 5. If you remember last Sunday, I was preaching on the fact that we need to focus not just on the promises of God, but on God who made the promises. And really our faith is not in the promise, but in the God who made the promise. And I told you that the Lord had been speaking to me that uh, we either were going to live in fear or we were going to live in faith. And remember last Sunday I said, you know, uh, there's going to be a time when fear will just come across this nation. Well, little did I know that the city of Boston would be locked down because of fear. The city of Watertown, they weren't, were not able to move out of their houses. They were all ordered to stay inside and really fear gripped about a two, one or two million people for two days while they looked for the suspect in the Boston Marathon uh, bombing. I'm telling you, these, these are fearful times. But God's children, we, we, don't, we don't have to live in fear. We can live by faith. And as Brother Ed led us to realize again today, our God reigns. He reigns. And we need to stay focused on him. Certainly we need to pray for the people that were so brutally injured and, and maimed uh, in Boston. We need to pray for them. We need to pray for those who are filled with hatred uh, and, and, and don't even know the people that they uh, are trying or attempting to maim or to kill. There's such a hatred that's uh, across the world. So we need to pray. But we need to stay focused on the Lord not respond to all that goes around us with fear, but we're to respond in faith. Uh, I want to speak to you today about the uh, everlasting, unconditional, and uh, unfailing love of God. It, it just seemed to me as I was just reading some different things, and just different verses that it just jumped out at me that God's love for you and me is everlasting. And that God's love for you and me is unconditional. And God's love for us is unfailing. You know, sometimes we, we hear about it and we sing about it. But I'm praying this this morning for you. Romans 5 says... And the love of God was poured out in their hearts by the Holy Spirit. I'm praying today that you'll not only hear about the love of God and that you'll intellectually respond and say, that is right, Brother Fred. But I'm praying that you'll experience the love of God. You can experience His love. It's more than emotion. It's that deep sense in your heart. You know, God really loves me. He loves me with an everlasting love. He loves me with an unconditional love. And he loves me with an unfailing love. Let me give you three scriptures that just point this out about the, the love of God. The first one is in Jeremiah 31, 3. You don't need to turn. We just stay open to Romans. Listen to this. Jeremiah 31, 3. The Lord appeared to me in the past, saying, 
I love you with an everlasting love. And I have drawn you with loving kindness. Man, what a statement. He said, God said, I just want to remind you, I love you with an everlasting love. And I have drawn you with the cords of kindness. And then we, we think of God's unconditional love. L- look there in Romans 5, start with verse 5. And, and just notice how unconditional God's love is. And that's so important to understand because most people spend their time trying to earn or merit the love of God. But in Romans 5, 5, it says, Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Now look at God's unconditional love. For when we were without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. We were helpless. We couldn't save ourselves. We were absolutely, utterly lost unless God intervened. But in our sin and our weakness, God loved us. And when we were yet still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Scarcely for a righteous man will one dare to die. Perhaps for a good man, some would even dare to die. But now this is unconditional love. But God demonstrates his love for us that while we were still sinners, still sinners, that Christ died for us. Much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Now, how unconditional is the love of God? If you look down in verse 10, it'll show you. For if when we were enemies, and see, when we were lost, living for ourselves, controlled by sin and our sin nature, we were really the enemies of God. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. God's love is everlasting for you. And God's love is unconditional. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more. There's nothing you can do to make him love you less. But then too, God's love is unfailing. Let me give you two verses on that. In Psalm 31, verse 6, listen to what it says. Let your face shine upon your servant. Save me in your unfailing love. Unfailing love. And then in Psalm 107, verse 8, let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and the wonderful deeds for men. So today, as we look at the everlasting love of God for you, the unconditional love of God for you, the unfailing love of God for you, my prayer is that somehow in your spirit, you will just not know how much God loves you intellectually, but you'll know and experience God's love in your life personally. And there was a song that the Lord brought to me as I was thinking about the everlasting, unconditional, unfailing love of God. And I I said, Brother Ed, after I read the scripture, I want us to sing it as a congregation. So you can just remain seated. And Brother Ed, are you ready to lead us in that? All right, it's on the words. How deep is the Father's love for us? Let's sing this to the Lord. 
And it's about recognizing how much God loves us. Let's sing it to the Lord. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure that He Everlasting love of God. You know, you need to understand about God. He doesn't have love. The Bible says He is love. It is His es- essence. It is His nature. It is who He is. Yes, God is holy. No question about it. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's all-seeing. And He's ever-present. But everything that God does is in keeping with the fact that God is love. And His love for us is an everlasting love. Look at 1 John chapter 4. If you want, I'll just, you don't need to turn, I'll just read it. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. Listen to what it says. Beloved, it talks about God's everlasting love here. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who is born of God and know, who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God. Now listen to this. For God is love. Not that he has love. That's his nature. That's his character. That's his essence. That's the way he deals deals with the wicked and sinful world. That's why God commended his love toward us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. You know, uh, we, we wonder about world events and all that's going on around us. You just remember this, that God is sovereign. Now, he is. 
You say, what do you mean by that, Brother Fred? God can do what he wants to do, when he wants to do it, and how he wants to do it without asking permission of anyone. Yes, he can, God is God. He's sovereign. He can do what he wants to do, when he wants to do it, how he wants to do it. And I have to ask permission of no one. But the sovereignty of God is in keeping with his nature, his character. And God is love. He's everlasting love. And he deals with you and me in love. One of the great encouraging things to me as a Christian is that God deals with his children in love. And you know how he does that? With discipline. You know, see, you know God corrects us as his children when we go astray. If we're not quick to repent, if we're not quick to turn from our sin, I'm telling you, God loves us so much, he'll correct us as his children. I never will forget when I would disobey and my father was going to give me a, a, a whipping, a spanking. He said, now I'm doing this because I love you. I said, man, that's an unusual expression of love. But you know, God said, whom the Lord loves, he chastens, he corrects. And if you be without correction or chastening, you're not God's son. And he says he, he chastens us and corrects us in love so that we will be partakers of his holiness. You see, God, everything God does comes out of the essence of his being. And that is that God is everlasting love. Boy, I love over in 1 John 4, 16. Listen to these words. Boy, I hope this is true of you. In 1 John 4, 16, it says, We have known and believed the love that God has for us. Now, wait a minute. He says, we know and we believe the love that God has for us. Then he goes on and says, God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Folks, you know, it, it hurts me so to know that people don't understand God's nature. That they would say, well, how could a loving God allow anyone to go to hell? Well, what they don't understand is that that's not God's will that anybody goes to hell. In fact, he blockaded the door to entrance to hell with a cross. And the only way you can get there is to go over the cross or around the cross. If, if people could just understand that God is love, and it was such an amazing love that his only son came to die on the cross in our place. God is ever God's love is everlasting. And we need to know and believe the love that God has for us. You say, well, Brother Fred, how, how did God manifest his love? In, in 1 John 4, 9 and 10, I want you to listen to this. Somebody says, well, you know, it's easy for you to say that God loved, but what about all the starving children around the world? And, and what about all the people that get sick and die and, and all that stuff? Now, you need to understand one thing. That's all because of sin. If man had not sinned, if man had not rebelled against God, if man had not gone his way, there'd be no starving children, there'd be no cancer, there'd be none of that. But because sin entered the world, and sin entered every person except Jesus, we live in a fallen world where sin has brought havoc and destruction and death and disease 
and hatred and greed. Hey, but in the midst of this world that is so wicked, God has not changed. He is still loving us with an everlasting love. And somebody says, well, that's easy for you to say, but what about all the suffering in the world? Well, just let me say this to you. The Bible makes it clear how God manifested his love for us. In 1 John 4, 9, now listen to this. You know this, but listen to it. If anybody says, well, how can God love people? How can God love him with all the suffering and all the stuff that's going on in this world? How in the world could God be everlasting love? You say, well, let me tell you. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us. In that he sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Did you hear what that said? He said, you know how I know God loves you, me? He sent his only son into the world to suffer and to die, to be rejected, to be scorned, to be mocked, to be nailed to a cross. God manifested his love toward us. And that he sent his only begotten son into the world. Why? That we might live through him. And then it goes on in the next verse, John 4, 1 John 4, 10. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but he loved us. And sent his son to be the substitute, to be the propitiation for our sins. Hey, 1 John 3 16 says, by this we know love. Now listen, he says, how do we know God loves us? Because Jesus laid down his life for us. You know, nothing encourages me more than to know that God doesn't have love. He is love. Everything God does flows out of his nature and character, which is love. Now, you know. Here's the thing I love about God's love. It's everlasting. It's everlasting. Another way to put that is eternal. And so I got to thinking about the reality of the everlasting love of God is the reality of heaven. Recently, a physician that I go to said, I want you to read a book. It's called, it was entitled Proof of Heaven by a uh, neurosurgeon or, you know, that uh, went into six-day coma and has written a book about his experiences in the afterlife. And so uh, I began to read it, and I didn't see anything in the beginning that would make me think that this guy was, had missed it all. Because uh, you never know what God does when a person gets in that. He had no brain waves, no none, nothing. But um, the thing that made me realize that there's a good chance what this man experienced is this. You know what he said? He said, the atmosphere that I felt where I was, was was pure, pure love. I said, well, that certainly doesn't violate the scripture. Because the Bible says God is love. Now you get to thinking about heaven. And you know, I'm going to tell you something. The atmosphere of heaven is love. Man, the air you breathe in heaven is love. Now, when you've experienced the love of God personally, and somehow it comes into your consciousness, man, the God who spoke this world out of nothing, 
The God who created us from the dust of the ground and, and, and made us in his image and put into us the breath of life. This omnipotent, omniscient God who is holy and majestic and glorious that no eye can behold because of his majesty. Did you know he's everlasting love? And the atmosphere we're going to breathe in heaven is going to be the atmosphere of love. It's God's love we're going to experience. We're going to experience his love. But you know what? You know what's going to make heaven so wonderful? Everybody that loves, live, everybody that's in heaven loves God and loves each other. That sounds like heaven to me, doesn't it you? They love God and they love each other. But you know something? I got to thinking about how if, if love is the atmosphere of heaven and what we experience there, and I started to say 24-7, no, what we experience there for eternity, you know how long eternity is, don't you? I don't, but it's long. That's all I got to say. <laughs> that we experience eternity, just think about it, the love of God. And, and because God's love is there and he's the atmosphere... You see, God is holy. There'll be no sin in heaven. There'll be no wickedness in heaven. There'll be no evil in heaven. There'll be no greed in heaven. There'll be no self-centeredness in heaven. No selfishness in heaven. No pain in heaven. No prejudice in heaven. No sorrow in heaven. No death in heaven. You know what it's going to be? Heaven. All I want today is say hallelujah. It'll be wonderful to live in a place like that. And there won't even be any politics in heaven. I mean, that is absolutely unbelievable. Nobody's running for anything. And you know the thing I love about heaven is no one's living for themselves. They're all living for the glory of the God, of God who redeemed them with the blood of their son, Jesus Christ. Everybody's living for the glory of God. God's everlasting love. And that's what heaven's going to be all about. You know, the older you get, the more important heaven becomes to you. But you really ought to be important all the time because you never know what a day will bring forth. But we go on and we see that God's love is not only everlasting, the everlasting love of God, but it's unconditional. And this is so important to understand this. The, the Bible said three things in Romans 5. We were without strength. That means we couldn't do anything to get out of the mess we were in. We were in a pit, and there was no way we could get out. No way. We were, we were without strength, gripped by sin and by a sinful nature and by a wicked ruler named the devil who is a ruler of this world. And we were without strength to get out of that mess. The cords around us had us bound. And the Bible says we were not only without strength, but we were still sinners. We were still sinners. I mean, we weren't righteous and living for God. And, but no, we were there. We were lost in our sin. And the Bible went on to say in, in, in Romans 5, verses 5 through 10, that we were enemies of God. You say, well, Brother Fred, I've never seen myself that I know that. But when we sin, we violate God. We violate his law. Sin is lawlessness. And that, in that sense, we were truly enemies of God. 
But you see, God broke through every bit of that. He broke through our weakness of no strength. He broke through the fact that we were still sinners and that we were enemies of God. And with his unconditional love, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son made under the law to take the curse of the law so that we could be forgiven and we could be saved and our lives could be transformed. Man, unconditional love. You know one of the greatest examples of unconditional love? And and this verse has just always grabbed me, and it's just such a, a small verse. But it shows you how God's love is unconditional, not only in our salvation, but in the way God deals with us as children. Let me just read this to you. In John chapter 13, verse 1, you don't need to turn over there. Now listen to this. Before the, feast, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now, you know who he was talking about there? It was the feast of the Passover. The cross was right in his face. And he said, having loved his own, that were in the world. He loved them to the end. Now, you know what was about to happen? And Jesus knew it. Here was Peter, James, and John, the sons of Zebedee and all this. Here were his disciples. Jesus knew that when it got down to it and he was arrested, taken before Caiaphas and before Pilate, he knew that every one of them was going to flee They were going to forsake him. He knew every one of them was. In fact, Mark tells us that after the crucifixion, they were in a room behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jews. But Jesus knew they were going to forsake him and flee. He knew that. And by the way, he knew Peter was going to deny him. In fact, he told Peter. He said, before the rooster crows. But you see, he loved them. And he loved them to the end. Jesus' love for his disciples was unconditional. Well, did they disappoint him? Well, you can't disappoint God. He knows, but they sure didn't please him. Was their life one that glorified God? Oh, no, certainly not. But that didn't affect the love of Jesus. Having loved his own, he loved them to the end. Now, what does that say to you and me? I don't have to tell you that there are times that we have denied him. I don't have to tell you there are times when we forsook him and fled in the sense that we did not have that intimate walk with him every day. And I don't have to tell you that there are times when we got our eyes off the Lord and let the flesh rise up and overcome the spirit. And there were things in our life that were sinful against God. You know that. But let me tell you something. That did not affect his love for you. Having loved them, he loved them to the end. Now let me tell you that the Lord just really burned this into my heart. Why works, works are so prevalent in the world's religions. And why so many people think that the way to get right with God and the way to go to heaven is by good works. Let me tell you why. You see... 
unless you know that God loves you, unless you know that God loves you unconditionally, there's nothing you can do to make him love you more or love you less. See, unless you know that, then something within you is going to say, well, I've got to earn God's love. I've got to merit God's love. Now, if I just do the right things, perhaps God will love me and have favor on me. And I know that if I do the wrong things, God won't love me. And I won't have his favor. So all the religions of the world, stay with me now, except Christianity is based on works. Billions of people today think by certain things that they do, you know, whether Hindu or Muslim or whatever, or religion in America that's based on if you work, if your good works outweigh your bad works, you'll, you'll be right with God and you'll go to heaven. I, I never will forget one of the most things that I... Uh, uh, things I've never forgotten is when we were uh, went to the Holy Land. It's been about 20 years since I went. And we went from the Holy Land to Egypt and saw the pyramids. And then we went to the uh, museum in Cairo. Now, there are museums, but the museum in Cairo, they got the oldest stuff you've ever seen in your life. I mean, it was old. And we had not walked 25 yards or 50 yards into that uh, museum until I saw, we, 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 they had this case, and in it was a real live mummy. No, no, it wasn't alive, excuse me. <laughs> it was a real mummy. It wasn't one of these fake ones, but it was a real one. It was a guy that they dug him up 2,000 years ago, and, and there he lay. And he wasn't looking too good, just to tell you the truth. <laughs> but I noticed that laying there, on his chest was a feather, or in the case with him. I said, what's that all about? Well, see, they believed that one day they would stand before God, and there'd be scales, and on one scale would be a feather, and on the other scale would be their good works. And if their good works balanced the scale. They would have earned God's love and would go to heaven. Hmm. How many people are saying, I'm going to do better. I'm going to try my best. I'm going to read my Bible more. I'm going to pray. And I'm, 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 I'm even going to go to church. And I'm going to do all these things. And listen, men, you need to pray. And you need to read your Bible. And you need to worship with God's people. But let me tell you one thing. All of that doesn't make God love you one bit more. But when you don't do it, it doesn't make him love you one bit less. Now, you can please him. And see, the whole religion of works is because they do not know that God loves them unconditionally. And that he sent his son to die for them. And to bear their sins in his body on that cross. And that he became sin for us who knew no sin. That we might be the righteousness of God in him. And since they don't know the unconditional love of God. Everything they do. Well I've got to do this and maybe God will love me more. And I'll do this and maybe God will love me more. I'll do this and maybe I'll earn favor with God. Listen. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more. He loves you unconditionally. And the tragedy would be if you reject the love of God what a tragedy that you would reject that love when he loved you while you were still a sinner and while you were without strength 
and while you were his enemy. The unconditional love of God. And that is manifested in Jesus Christ. And if you reject the love of God, manifested in his Son, then you will not be able to experience the goodness of God. Let let me give you a great example of how when you know God's unconditional love, then you start serving him and worshiping him and loving him, not to earn his love, but because you know his love. See, here's the person over here. They're working hard to try to earn and merit the love of God, and maybe they'll go to heaven. And then here's the people over here who say, no, God loves me, and because he loves me, I'm going to love him, I'm going to serve him, I'm going to worship him, I'm going to honor him. Now over here, their whole relationship with God is out of works and over here their whole relationship with God is out of love now I tell you I I got to thinking about Paul you know do you realize uh what he went through you know when, when he got saved of course you know he was uh he called himself the chief of sinners that's what he said God showed his mercy in me because of I was the greatest of sinners well but Paul experienced the love of God. And when he did, God said to him, show him what, tell, told Ananias, show him what things he's going to suffer for me. Now here he had just gotten knocked off, his, uh, off the horse and, 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 and said, who is this? And he says, I'm Jesus whom you persecuted. And he said, what do you want me to do, Lord? And then he goes to Ananias and the scales fall off for his eyes. And, and from that moment on, he never slowed down. He, he went on and served the Lord, spent time with him in the desert. God taught him, Jesus taught him what he needed to teach him. He wrote 13 epistles in our Bible. And, and let me just say this about him. He had as more effect on the world than any person the world of Christianity, than any person except Jesus. After Jesus, there's the influence of Paul and the epistles he wrote. But now I want you to listen to his testimony. You say, boy, I bet he never had any trouble, and I bet he had a great time. I want you to listen to this. You say, why would anybody go through this? Because of their love. They knew how much God loved them. Listen to what he said. He said, are they ministers of Christ? He was talking about some others. I speak as a fool. I am more in labors. I labored more than they did. Uh, more, more abundant in, in stripes, in stripes above measure. He said, I got beaten way more than any of them did. In prison, more frequent, frequently. In danger of death, often. From the Jews, five times. I received 39 stripes. You know, they didn't give them 40 because they'd kill them. Man, can you imagine? Five times. They, they bent his back over, and then they lashed it and just ripped the flesh. And, and I, I said, Paul, boy, you, you went through a lot. I mean, my goodness, it said here, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in death, threat of death often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Man, I'd hate to be the pastor of that church. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A day and night I've been in the deep. In journeys often. In perils of waters. In perils of robbers. In perils of my own country. In perils of the Gentiles. In perils in the city. In perils in the wilderness. In perils in the sea. 
in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fasting often, in cold and nakedness. My heavens, what did he go through? That beats anything I've ever seen. That was his life. You say, Brother Fred, why didn't he just finally say, well, God, enough's enough. I mean, you know, why didn't he just give up? Why didn't he just quit? But most of the time he was about half dead. And he wasn't about half dead. He was in jail. I mean, I'm telling you, Paul, but you know, can I tell you why he didn't do it? You want to know why he kept going? You want to know why he kept up? Because he knew the unconditional love of God. You know, he knew it. Let me, let me read it to you. He tells you. Because I know a lot of people said, Now, Paul, you've been through enough. You've been through enough. Now, just back off. Back off. You've been through enough. You know, you just go and, and find your safe place and pray. And, and just, 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 man, you've you just been through. But let, let me tell you what he says. This is why he kept on loving Jesus. And he kept on preaching, and he kept on praying, and he kept on serving, and he kept on going. Time after time, why did he do it? Because he wasn't trying to earn God's love. He wasn't trying to earn God's favor because he knew God's love. He knew God's favor. Listen to what he says. If we're beside ourselves, it is for God. I have met some Christians who seem to be beside themselves. And some of them were beside themselves, okay? But I've met some who weren't beside themselves. And they, they were so different. And they seemed to have such a different walk. But, but that's where God had placed them. And I understood that this was a unique place God had put them. But it wouldn't be where I was because I wasn't what God had called me to be. But I'm going to tell you something. I said, man, they're just beside themselves. They, 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 they're going in a different direction. But it was a God direction. He said, if we be beside ourselves... It is for God. If you think I'm strange, he said, it's for God. If we are of sound mind, it is for you. Now here he says, why did he go through all he went through? The love of Christ compels me. He said, I am driven. I am driven. I am motivated by the love of Jesus. Man, I, I, I can't get over it. That he loved me while I was still a sinner. And, buddy, I sure was an enemy. I was putting the Christians in jail. He said, I'm going to tell you why I'll go through anything. And finally, he was, he was killed. He said, I'll tell you why. He said, the love of Christ compels me. Because I judge thus that if one died for all, then all were dead. That he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves. Woo. He said, I realize the love of Jesus got a hold of my heart. And I realized that if one died for all, we were all dead. And that he died for all that we who live should no longer live for ourselves. No longer live for ourselves, But him who loved us and gave himself for us. He died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves. But for them who died for him and rose again. Now I just want to say this to you. When you feel like quitting. <clears throat> when you feel like giving up. When you feel like this thing of following Jesus, man, it's hard. And it's going to get harder. This thing of being a disciple, it's, it's, it's tough. It's going to get tougher. But you just remember this. God loves me with an everlasting love. 
And God's love for me is unconditional. It was so great that Jesus died for me. And that he died for me. That I should no longer live for myself. But him who loved me and gave himself for me. You know, I have no intention of quitting. I have no intention of retiring. I have no intention of backing up. I was thinking about it yesterday. And, and I'm just going to tell you what I told my wife. I said, we were riding. I said, you know, how much longer am I going to do what I'm doing? I said, how much longer am I going to do it? She, she didn't have any idea. I said, I sure would like to go fishing. And I sure would like to do some things. And she, you know, she, you know I said, I don't want to play golf. I'm awful. But I said, I sure would like to do some things. But you know what occurred to me? Listen, none of that matters. None of that matters. Because let me tell you something. The unconditional love of God that we've experienced. Man, we, we just got to keep on focused on Jesus, loving him, seeking him, praying, serving, ministering until the day we go home to be with him. Well, why do you do it? Why do you all do it? The love of Jesus compels me. The unconditional love of God. Here's the last thing. The love of God is, un is everlasting. And the love of God in Jesus Christ is unconditional. And the love of God in Jesus Christ is unfailing. Let your face shine upon your servant. Save me in your, in your unfailing love. Let, let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. God, you know, there are four things God can't do. And I know there are more, and you can tell me what they are, but I just thought of these four. First of all, God can't lie. The Bible says it's impossible for God to lie. Secondly, God can't sin because he's holy in his nature. He can't sin. He can't lie. He can't sin. And um, I said there were four. He can't lie, and he can't sin, and he can't fail. It's impossible for God to fail, and he can't deny himself. He can't do those. The Bible says if we deny him, he cannot deny himself. So he can't lie, he can't sin, he can't fail, and he can't deny himself. Now here's the thing about it. You say, well, where was God when I needed him? He was there. Why did I go through this? God allowed it. It's not what you went through, it's the way you responded to it. Well, I don't just see how God could love me. Evidently, his love has failed me here. No, it hadn't. No. You just don't understand what's going on in your life. God's love is an unfailing love. It's not that he forgets to love us today. Oh, no, it's unfailing. It's an unfailing love. Let, let me tell you what Ephesians says about it. Listen to this. Paul said... Um, in Ephesians, I want you to be rooted and grounded in love. This is chapter 3, verse 14. Of Ephesians, be rooted and grounded in love. Let your life be founded in the fact that God loves me everlastingly, and God loves me unconditionally, and God loves me unfailingly. You be rooted and grounded in love. And I pray that you might know, now listen to this, the love of Christ which passes knowledge. He says, I want you to know how wide the love of Jesus is, how 
long the love of Jesus is, how high the love of Jesus is, and how deep it is. I want you to know the width and length, the depth and height of the love of Christ. Now, now this is what he's talking about. He says, listen, if you can just know how wide his love is, if you can just know how long his love is, if you can just know how deep his love is and how high his love is, it'll cause you to be filled with the fullness of God. You know, I'm just going to say this is certainly not exhaustive. God's love is wide enough to reach around the whole world, to every tongue, to every tribe, and to every nation. How wide is his love? He reaches around the whole world that he created. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. How broad is his love? For God so loved the world. How long is God's love? The length, it's from everlasting to everlasting. That's how long it is. His love is from everlasting to everlasting. You say, well, how deep is it? It's deep enough to reach the deepest sinner. It's, reaching, it's deep enough to reach the person closest to hell. But how high is it, Brother Fred? It's high enough to lift us above this world and ultimately take us to heaven where we'll spend eternity in the atmosphere of his love. He said, I want you to know the breadth, the length, the depth, and the height and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. Did you know God's love is unfailing? I'm glad it is because there are times if it hadn't been unfailing and it hadn't been unconditional, he, he would have kicked me off the team. I mean, really, I'm so glad his love is unconditional. I'm so glad it's unfailing. And I'm so glad that it's broad enough to reach and minister to us where we are. But I just want to close with this. I think Paul, and all that he had been through, said, Well, I, I'm just going to tell you what I've come to this conclusion. And you know it, and, 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 and you love it because it gives you great assurance. But this is the unfailing love of God. And man, it, it's, it's, it's just absolutely awesome. And I pray that you'll believe this. And God will pour His love in your heart by the Holy Spirit. In Romans 8, it says, Who sh-, or it says, Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is risen. Only one that can condemn us is Jesus and he's not. Who is even at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. He's praying for us. And then Paul said, let me tell you something. Beaten with stripes five times. Beaten with rods three times. In and out of jail. In the, in the sea overnight. Thought I was going to drown. Hey, he said, let me, let me tell you what I've come to this conclusion. Doesn't matter where I'm at. Doesn't matter what I'm going through. Doesn't matter. It's what he said. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? That's a good question. Can anything? Shall tribulation, distress, 
persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword. He said, I'm just going to ask you now, is there anything that can separate me from the love of Christ? Anything that can separate you from the love of Christ? And he names everything, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword. It is written, for your sake we're killed all day long. I mean, they're killing us, Lord. Does that separate me from your love? For your sake we're killed all day long. We're accounted like sheep for the slaughter. Listen to what he said. Yet, in all these things, we're more than conquerors through Christ that loved us. He said, none of that can separate me from the love of God. I'm more than a conqueror through Christ. And then he says, I'm persuaded. And I'm glad he was persuaded. Or I think he had quit along the way. He said, I'm persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities, any demonic spirit or the devil himself. I'm persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He said, let me just tell you how it is. There's absolutely nothing in heaven and earth and below the earth. There's nobody, no thing that can ever separate me from the love of God. Man, thank God that we know him. Thank God that we know Jesus. Thank God that he lives in our heart. Thank God when everything that is shaken is going to be shaken, that we have a kingdom of love that cannot be shaken. Oh, listen, listen, rest, and and rest, not only rest, but be assured, and then pursue God with all your heart. Rest in the fact that God loves me with an everlasting love. He loves me with an unconditional love. And he loves me with an unfailing love. And nothing can ever separate me from the love of God.